Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. And there is a terrible paradox in our society today. And the paradox is that we live in an age of a communication explosion. And yet, at the same time, individuals are quite dissatisfied in the way we individually, personally communicate with one another. And like we explained last time, last week, it is a problem that reflects the state of the heart of an individual. We look at how the tongue speaks out of the abundance of what fills our hearts. And so if we want to direct the tongue in the proper path, we need to make sure that we fill the heart with the proper thoughts, and essentially, ultimately, with the Word of God. Today, in our scripture reading, we find instructions, additional instructions, in terms of how the tongue can be used for evil or for good. In Ephesians 4, we are told to stop lying to one another. In a society like today, where lies are promoted, and speaking truth sometimes is looked down upon. That is not as easy as it sounds at first. And all of us are guilty of not doing it. Did someone hurt you and then come up to you and say, Oh, I'm sorry. It says, Oh, no problem, nothing at all. When in reality you were deeply hurt, you did not speak the truth. We can bring up hundreds of such examples that are common day life. The point is the scripture. The Word of God is calling us to speak truth, not falsehood, even in the little things, because the little things are what make a big difference. That's what trains our mind. Remember, as we discussed last time, when you allow certain thoughts, a certain pattern, certain habits to come in, that trains your mind to act and respond in a different way. Another thing that it tells us, to don't let the sun go down on your anger. Stay current with the issues. Refusing to settle an issue can only aggravate it it will not do much good. Now, you may indeed postpone an issue if the time at hand is not appropriate. Well, if I'm dealing with someone who's enraged and I need to bring up something to them, I don't think at that particular moment is the best time to do that. So I may need to postpone it until they calm down and we can talk. But we need to deal with issues, with problems in a timely fashion. And we do so for the right reasons, in the right way, then we bring them to a solution. We can dismiss the issues, we can dismiss the problem, and reconcile and build up, in fact, relationships. Just the other day I was working on, on the topic of relationships, and one thought came up. What about conflict in relationships? 
And you know, if you think about it, there is no relationship where you do not find an occasion for conflict. For the very simple fact that in order to relate, individuals need to negotiate certain things between each other, that brings up conflict. But conflict doesn't have to be negative, doesn't have to be destructive. It can be handled in a positive way, in the right way. And if, if so, the relationship can actually be enhanced because it's through that negotiating that we get to know each other better, that we can learn to appreciate one another more. Of course, conflict can be used in a very destructive way as well. But Paul here was inspired by God to invite us to deal with the issues in a constructive way. In fact, the very next teaching that Ephesians 4 gives us is to abandon any unwholesome word. What does that mean? What is an unwholesome word? It's simply any corrupt, negative, destructive, downputting or not profitable word that comes from our mouth. That means that every word that comes out of our mouth should be profitable for something, should be constructive for something, should be edifying someone in some way. Now, Scripture also tells us that sometimes it's appropriate to rebuke someone. But Ephesians tells us in that rebuke, we should not be using any unwholesome words. Any words that tear down, rather we should use words that build up because the purpose of rebuke is not to tear down, the purpose of rebuke is to help. Then, the final part of Ephesians 4 tells us that we need to act proactively. How does it do that? Not as bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Those are all retaliatory attitudes and behaviors that we tend to adopt in response to something. We react that way. But Paul tells us that it's inappropriate. It opposes it with a totally different attitude in verse 32, a Christian attitude. And the reason he gives us for that attitude is Jesus Christ. If we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, why should we not be willing to forgive someone else? And instead of retaliating with wrath, anger, bitterness, clamor, why not responding in a proactive way? Why not doing something different? Paul it was inspired by God to tell us that we need to change the heart. Based on the example of Jesus Christ, we need to change the heart and be a forgiving in a forgiving attitude. And that motivation moves us to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving in verse 32. That is a proactive approach. It focuses not on the problem, but on the solution at hand. It opens communication. It nurtures relationships. It helps to raise the standards of behavior, doesn't it? So that is, in synthesis, what the message of Ephesians 4 is. But I would like to go a little more in-depth about that. Why is communication, why is our use of words so critical? Why do we need such instructions? Because communication's problems were introduced in the Garden of Eden by Satan, the father of all lies. It should not be surprising us if Satan lowers down our guard by inserting in our thoughts and minds and habits of speech little lies on a daily life so that we then become less sensitive to falsehood. And when the situation becomes critical, we might even use a bigger lie to get off the hook. Breakdown of communication can be regarded as a consequence, as an effect of sin. 
Jesus Christ told us that our communication will proceed from what fills our heart. So don't ever think that just the words are sinful. If the words are sinful, it's because the thoughts behind those words were sinful to begin with. But sin, as we all know, must be dealt with and relationships are to be restored. What is the value of words? Well, let me ask you a question. If we can understand this, perhaps we can understand why this issue is so vital and so important. Why communication breakdowns are a very serious problem. What if God did not communicate with us? Where would we be? How do you know about Jesus Christ? How do you know you're saved in Christ? How do you know that Christ loves you? How do you know that Christ gave his life for you? There's only one answer. Words. Words from God. Words of life. Words make up the gospel. Words make up your faith or destroy it. Words either lead you to God or do the work of Satan and separate you from him. Words are very important and very powerful. Communication is what binds people together. The way we communicate with one another will either, will either bring us together or tear us apart. That's why it's so important. Now, the scholars and the experts in this world will tell us that there are certain principles of communication. And some of the things that they would tell you is that good communication promotes dialogue. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Good communication decreases tension, doesn't build it up. Good communication strives to solve problems and not to persecute. And sure, those principles may be fine. But what we find there in Ephesians 4 goes much deeper than that. Biblically, there's so much more that it may just meet the eyes at first. You see, the alternative to talking to one another, says Wayne Mack in a book that I would really recommend, he has a number of chapters devoted to talking to one another. The book is entitled, Your Family, God's Way. He says, the alternative to talking to one another in an unwholesome, destructive way is not being silent. Rather, Ephesians 4 tells us that speaking should be used for good. So the alternative to unwholesome, destructive speech is not silence, but a speech that is good and beneficial to the person who's hearing it. And you see, talking to one another is not enough. What is needed is good talk, appropriate communication, blessed communication. Communication that blesses an individual rather than hurt, that builds up instead of tearing down. Did you know... Of course you know. You've heard this many times before. That 80% of communication is nonverbal. 80% of what we communicate is nonverbal. You know, you have seen skits with actors who will say the same little phrase, or sometimes even one word. I remember one Italian actor said one word in over 50 different ways with 50 different meanings. And how did he do that? Only using one word. Well. His tone changed, his expressions changed, his gestures changed, the way he said it, his speed of saying it changed. But they know how to do it. That's why it's their business. They are actors. They know how to use nonverbal communication to convey a certain message. And those kids are very informative, very instructive, and fun to watch and, and see what an individual with that skill can do with one word or just a little phrase. But it also points out to us that we may say the right things, but come across in the wrong way. We may say, I care, in a way that tells a person, you don't care. Now, that can be cultural. 
We get it into communication theory, which is not my purpose today. That can be cultural, it can be a number of, of factors involved in that. But what I think is important for us is that we need to learn to convey our message, not just with the words, but with nonverbal communication as well. You cannot tell your wife, I love you, while you're cheating on her. The message doesn't come through. You cannot tell an individual, oh, welcome, while you're turning your shoulders to them. The message will not come through. Another problem could be the small talk, as, as it's defined. What is small talk? Well, it's an insufficient use of words. A simple lack of words or under-talk. Or it could be avoidance of certain topics. An individual speaks normally and talks, you know, and opens up normally, but when you touch a certain topic, boom, immediately, or he or she immediately shuts down and won't say a word. That's also under-talk. There is also apathetic talk that is fit, fits with that paradigm, a careless, non-caring communication, either in words or in non-verbal non expressions. Have you ever seen a teenager and you say, hey, how, how, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, is there a problem? Okay. Would you like a red or green? Okay. And that's all the communication you get. That's under talk. <laughs> right? That is apathetic talk as well. I don't care. It seems like the, the mode is, who cares, anyway. You give me a gift, who cares? You do something nice for me, who cares? You do something bad for me, who cares? I'm apathetic, nothing touches me. That is not good talk or good communication, not good use of a tongue or words. Another way is deficient sharing, unwillingness or inability to share of oneself. We are so locked up and close to ourselves that we never say anything about ourselves and therefore you can talk to me for months and know nothing at all about me. That's also insufficient talk. Also, there are two other kinds that are particularly damaging. Acknowledgement deficit, for instance. That's when people will never acknowledge what you do or what you say. You may be talking to them, but when they, will, they will not acknowledge what you say. It's a destructive type of insufficient communication which denies acknowledgement to the other person. And another one, just as damaging, is appreciation deficit. The communication that never conveys any appreciation whatsoever for the other person. The lack of communication neglects to appreciate the other for what they say, they do, or they are. Now, what are some of the reasons for the under-talk or small talk is fatigue sometimes. That could be a reason for that. Someone who's particularly tired or weak may not wish or have the energy to talk. Or it could be selfish, vindictiveness. Oh, yeah? You know, sometimes in a teenager, that, when they go, okay, that is a message in there, behind that, I don't care. And the message is, you hurt me, and I'm avenging myself by shutting down and making you want to talk to me by not be able to do that. A sense of inferiority. Hey, I'm not worth anything, so why would I even talk? I just shut up, and everybody, everybody's happy because they don't care about me anyway. So a sense of inferiority may lead a person to be not talking enough. Fear. Or if I say something, I'm going to say something wrong, they're all going to jump on me and they're going to let me have it. Or maybe habit. There are people that grow up in families and environments where speaking is not <laughs> in the mode of a day and, and they grow up with a habit of just not talking. You know, you can go fishing with them the whole day and not share a word. Then they come back and say, oh, we had a great time. Well, that could be a factor too. Or some people that are so busy, they just don't take the time to talk. 
What are some suggestions to overcome that in a scriptural way, in a, in a positive Christian way? Well, first of all, you must want to change that. If you find yourself in that category of insufficient talker, under-talker, you must want to change. Pray about it, but make your prayer about it regular, continual, constant. You need the help of God because the heart needs to change. Remember, not just the words, not just the mouth, not just the tongue, but the heart needs to change. Priming the conversation pump sometimes, if, if you are an under-talker due to a habit, priming the conversation pump sometimes is a help. So how do you do that? Well, read. Listen to others. See how others talk and try to find out a way that you can maybe learn something from that or pick up an example here and there. Reading sometimes helps communication a lot. Or at times, a, a mental list of questions to ask people in order to spark a conversation and initiate a conversation can be very useful. Sometimes if it's difficult for you to get the conversation started because you may think you don't have anything to say, ask a question. And then you will learn gradually to respond to what the other person says and enter a conversation. Probably one of the most important things is to realize that we have a purpose for doing that. And that purpose is to imitate Christ. If Christ were not to communicate, if Christ was an under-talker, we would be in serious trouble. There are a lot of things that are vital to us that we would not know. Had he not shared himself, we would not know him enough to have a relationship with him. Likewise, if we don't share enough of ourselves, people around us will not be able to have a relationship with us, would they? Practice is important, especially if you're an under-talker because of habit. Practice needs to correct that habit. You can pray all you want, but if you don't practice talking, you will never learn to talk. But it can be done. And God wants you to have relationships. Therefore, he wants you to communicate and to communicate appropriately. Of course, the opposite is also true. There is such a thing as over-talk or excessive talk. One kind of that is monopolization of a conversation. That means the tendency to dominate the communication. This is what usually happens to people that don't know how to listen. If you say a phrase or sentence or you make your comments about that, chances are you won't be listened to. And, and, and when they start talking again, they take over again as if you never said anything. Another excessive talk is gossip. Talking about people behind their back is a sin. And it's not a private sin, it's a public sin. And oftentimes, the only way to deal with that sin is in public. Because gossip affects the public, affects the crowd. When we talk behind someone's back to other people, we are spreading rumors and becomes public. That's excessive talk. It should be refrained. Another type of defense, uh, excessive talk is defensive speech. It's the kind of speech of people who constantly justify themselves and make excuses for themselves as if they're always on the spot, even when it's not needed. Another one is the, the, the kind of speech that takes over the conversation. This happens when an individual tends to interrupt all the time. And that's the kind of person that, you know, believes that he can say it better than you can. And the individual wants the attention through that conversation. Or there is another type that is very similar to some of those, but different in, 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 in nature. It is the automatic, the machine gun type of speech. The one that never stops. The one that, if you, if you find, you've probably seen people like that, and you figure out, you know, how in the world can I ever even put a word in there? It's an ever-ending flow, the machine gun type. And usually when you take a breath, 
is sometimes counselors are trained to deal with people like that and say when they take a breath, that's when you need to put something that provokes them in a way that it makes them think for a second. And that's where you can put your word and take control again, if you can, of the conversation. And usually it happens for a minute or two. But then when you try to find out something else from them, here it goes again, the machine gun comes up again. That is not constructive because it does not build relationships. It actually tends to alienate the individuals from that person. And in addition to that, please, let's remember that as far as excessive talk, Scripture teaches us that in a multitude of words is what? Sin. In a multitude of words, we find sin. Why? Because our human nature tends to sin. And when we tap into our human nature and give it full vent, like the book of Proverbs would say the foolish man does, the foolish man is ready to vent his thinking and his, and his thoughts and his words are many and abundant and unchecked. Another type of excessive talk is harassing communication. The kind of communication that will not give up and will continue harassing the other person until they either agree or they succumb. Then there are situational overtalks, talking too much or talking too long when certain topics come up, which is the opposite of what we said earlier for under-talk. There are some topics that people don't want to talk about. Now there are some other topics that people talk a lot about. And as soon as you touch a topic, oh, you know, you turn on the faucet, it, you, you're going to have a hard time to close it. It will flow, and it will flow for a while. And of course, self-centered speech is excessive talk. And that's the kind of speech when people talk about themselves and their achievements, their accomplishments, their own experiences, and how good they are, and how right they are, and how they know better than anybody else, that's over-talk as well. That is a sinful type of talk as well. What are some of the possible causes of over-talk? Well, how about pride, selfishness? Those are quite self-explanatory, aren't they? But what about the fear of silence, though? That's not as self-explanatory. You know, we can understand pride and selfishness that will lead to over-talk, but the, some people have a, a, a dread of silence. There are some people that just cannot stand silence. And in fact, you know, one of the techniques that we use in mediation, when people, don't want, when people lock up, you have two parties right next to you, and they don't want to talk. They lock up, they, they're stuck in their positions. One of the very, very effective techniques is to say nothing. Look at one party, put an, expectation, an expression of expectation in your face, and it will make them feel very uncomfortable because people don't like prolonged silence. And if you look at them in a certain way, you convey to them, what's the matter, aren't you talking? <laughs> and that even does, makes it worse, doesn't it? People sometimes are afraid of silence, and that longer silence may cause them to just break in and start saying something. Loneliness could be a reason for overtalk. I found myself in that a number of times. Sometimes I spend the days in doing certain things that cause me to be very much alone, either traveling or other things of that nature, and I haven't seen people for a while, I haven't talked to anybody, and then I see my wife, and boy, she gets a, a, a report for the whole day. <laughs> and then I notice usually I'm doing overtalk because she looks at me and she kind of goes, whoa, you know. <laughs> And, and then that's my hint to ask her, how was your day? <laughs> but loneliness sometimes can lead to overtalk. Habit. Just like some people grow up not saying a word, other people grow up 
speaking with no end, talking to one another. Uh, my father had a hard time when my brother and I started arguing because you could never tell who was talking. We were both talking over each other, trying to overwhelm one another, and, and it, was one, it was one type of overtalk that Poor listening can be another reason for overtalk. An individual who does not know how to listen will tend to speak more than he listens, than he hears. Or a desire or a perceived need to control the topic. You know, just like some people feel uncomfortable with the topic and they will shut down when the topic comes up. Other people, because they feel un uncomfortable, they will desire to control the conversation so that certain things cannot be said. If they can be in control, if they can talk enough, then nobody else can say anything, they can get away with it or whatever perceived need they have to control that particular topic. What are some of the suggestions that we can find from Scripture to, to overcome that? First of all, realize you have a problem. If you're an over-talker, over if you talk too much, you've got to realize you have a problem. You may think you don't. You may think you need to explain certain things, but perhaps you don't. Perhaps the person listening to you does not need all the little details. Perhaps the person listening to you just needs the overview, the executive summary, and that's sufficient, plenty enough. You need to realize that you have a problem with that first and then make it a matter of regular prayer. Because once again, it's only with a change of the heart that the mouth, the tongue, can speak differently. The heart needs to change. Seek to identify the reason behind the behavior. Try to find out why you tend to talk too much, or for that matter, too little. And then find out what God's way of resolving that particular issue is. Do I talk too much because I have a sin of pride in me? Well, what is God's solution to pride? Well, stop comparing yourself with other people, especially the ones you perceive as inferior, and start comparing yourself with God himself. We know that when we start talking to God and comparing ourselves to God, our list of problems runs long, doesn't it? It's a good thing to counteract pride if that is a problem. But discover God's way of resolving whatever difficulty is behind the overtalk. Become familiar with scriptures that deal with that particular topic. And many, many passages in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible deal with overtalk. And don't be offended if you find the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, defining that particular problem as a foolish problem. Because often, oftentimes the book of Proverbs says that the one who speaks too much is a fool. Don't be offended if you find yourself. I find myself being defined by Scripture like a fool a number of times. One time I was listening to a wife in a counseling session, and she was talking about her problem, marital problem. And, and, and then after a while she was going, I realized, wait a second, I am a fool in here. The book of Proverbs in chapter 18 tells me that if I just listen to her and her only, I am a fool. Because I only hear one side of a story which is never corroborated by the other side. And sure enough, as soon as I talked to the husband, the whole story changed around. Make yourself accountable. Find a good friend. A person you can trust. A person you can feel comfortable with and say, you know what? I, I realize, I'm kind of learning that I'm, I'm talking too much, don't I? And you will normally see the friends going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Well, that's a good confirmation that you have that problem. Then ask a friend, could you please help me out with this? Maybe some people, what I've seen some people do, they have a little quiet signal, sometimes between husband and wife, you know? The wife talks too much or the husband talks too much. The other one gives them a little signal and say, oops, okay, I'm taking over the conversation again. 
And that signal can, can tell you it's time to ask a question of someone else. What do you think about this? Persevere. Don't give up until you're successful. More than the undertalker, the overtalker will have problems with that. The overtalker will tend to give up, will tend to slip back into the old pattern. So persevere, keep going until the, the, you, you find yourself in the right balance. Ephesians, once again, brings up to us a number of problems, a number of issues. Falsehood, falsehood could be blatant lying, exaggeration, misrepresentation. Sometimes some people, when, when, when I confront them because they exaggerate things, they, they don't think they are lying. But when you present something that is this big and you make it this big, that's not the truth. And what is not the truth is a lie. Now, if I'm exaggerating to make a point or to create an effect, I would tend to resent someone telling me that I'm lying. So what I've learned to do is to say, okay, what is the real truth? All right? Maybe I don't say to the person, hey, you're lying. You're exaggerating, you're lying. But I might say, okay, well, what is the truth? Is it really this big? Okay, how much? Try to find the details, perhaps. And, and in your mind, if you tend to exaggerate, you might want to ask yourself, is it really five? Do I really mean five? Or was it one? Quantify it. Check the facts and see if they match what you're, what you're working on and what you're saying. Again, unwholesome talk, as we said before, is one of those problems. Sidetracking, verbal slamming, saying something in one breath and taking it away with another breath, contradicting. Explosive speech, speaking or answering for the other person. Oh, that's, that's, that's funny, isn't it? When you start a phrase and the other person finishes it for you or guesses it out, or oh, somebody asks you a question and somebody next to you answers the question instead of you, and they jump in. Verbal manipulation, empty talk, excessive, heavyweight speech. Some people have this problem instead of that everything is heavy, everything is, is horrendous, everything is terrible. You know, and you know that when you talk to them, you're gonna grow, you're gonna go out after the conversation, kind of feeling really low. Good speech, according to Ephesians, is truthful should be properly motivated, mannered, and timed, and spaced. Scripture tells us, let your speech be like the salt. Now, you don't want to dump all the salt on one side. You want to sprinkle it around and, and spread it evenly and nicely and put it in the right quantity. Not too much, not too little. So should be our speech. If you need particular help, there are some questions you can ask yourself. Questions like, Am I being appropriately and sufficiently open and honest on this issue that we're talking about? Excessive openness may not be good, but lack of openness may not be good either. Do I have a proper motive for saying what I'm about to say? Am I saying it just to get even? Am I saying just to get to the nerves of that person? Am I saying to, get, to, to provoke someone? Am I saying it to control? Or am I saying it for the right reasons? To edify? to do something good, to help out, to improve, to bless? Will what I'm about to say be beneficial for that person or not? Will God approve it? Could I say it in the face of God? Could I say it in, the front, in front of a throne of God? And here I am in front of God, in front of his throne, and turn around and to my brother say that thing. Would I do that in those circumstances? That's a good question to ask. We do that all the time, don't we? Because we're always in the presence of God, aren't we? 
Am I ready to say it in the best possible manner? Now, I know that what I'm about to say is right. I object all the other things, but is this the best way of saying it? Or is this the best time to say it? You know, sometimes people try to convey care. And they go to a person who's seriously ill and say, oh, you'll be right. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to it. You'll be healed or whatever, you know. You'll be just out of bed in a few days and, and so on. And you know what? Maybe some of that may be okay. But what about linking with that person? What about acknowledging that, hey, you know, I realize that it's kind of tough for you. It must be hurting. How long? Oh, it's been quite long. Man, it must be rough. What are you doing with that? You're not diminishing their faith, but you're helping them by linking with them before then you bring in some encouragement. Where should I say it? Is this the best place? You know, my, my son and my daughter may have done something wrong and I'm in the middle of a crowd. Is this the right place for me to address the issue? Or maybe I should wait until we're in private. That's a good question. I want to conclude by reminding us of the, of the obvious. God gave us two ears and only one mouth. That is so obvious, isn't it? And that should be a hint from God that God wants us to listen more than speaking. He wants us to listen not just to hear words, though. He wants us to listen so that we can understand what the other person is saying. And when we understand what the other person is saying, then we can say something. Appreciate and listen to what the other people have to say as well. Communication is always a two-way path. And like we've seen, it should be used, the tongue and the words should be used for good. Surely the tongue can be a very destructive tool, but just as well, it can be an extremely beneficial tool. Think of the way God uses words. Think of the way Jesus Christ used words. And the life that comes because of that. And the refreshing that comes because of that. And the encouragement that comes because of that. Let us endeavor. Commit ourselves. Make a pledge with God to use the tool that he's given us, the ears, so that we'll be willing to listen to the others and understand. And the tongue so that we can speak appropriately, in time, in measure, in love, and in truth, to edify, to build, to do good, and not tear down and destroy. Let us commit ourselves that that will be the case. Let us make a commitment that every time someone enters through that door, the words that they will hear will be edifying, positive, bringing to Christ, glorifying God in the name of God, encouraging, edifying, as Ephesians 4 says. Let us make a commitment that every time someone enters in our house, they will also hear those words, words that will help rather than destroy. And let us commit ourselves to let everyone who comes within our comfort zone here, around us, close to us, that hears us whisper or talk to anybody else or, or even to them, find the same kind of words. Constructive, healing beneficial words, so that Ephesians 4 can be fulfilled in our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the words you have. Allow us to, to have the capacity to formulate and to use. We thank you for creating us with the ability to communicate, because it is through that communication, eternal God, that we can have a relationship with you and a relationship with one another. 
We ask you, Father in heaven, that you would touch and work with our hearts in such a way that, as the Apostle Paul pointed out, when someone comes in our midst, that they will know that your spirit is at work because the words and the communication that we share with one another will be glorifying you and will be guided and led by the Holy Spirit, eternal God. Let our words be words of love and truth. We praise you, Father. We thank you for your love and your truth. And we ask you to help us to share it with one another and everyone else. We praise you. We ask all this now. We commit ourselves and we commit our tongue and our words to you. In Jesus' name, amen.